This is the Edumatch Podcast Network, bringing you amazing educators sharing their love of learning one show at a time. The Edumatch Podcast Network is proud to support this show and many others. Find out more at edumatchpn.com. The ideas and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely of the individual podcaster. This is TLC Ninja, a podcast for teachers by teachers about classroom innovation. And welcome to episode 108 of TLC Tech Learn Coffee, a proud member of the EduMatch Podcast Network. I'm Lisa Nowakowski, a tech coach in South Monterey County. And I am Nancy Minicozzi, an instructional technology coach in Beverly Hills, California. And this is just a reminder that we have a 15-minute format because ain't nobody got more time than that. No, they don't. And today's coffee fact is one that I can totally get behind. Did you know that by the late 15th century, coffee shops were very, very popular in Constantinople that we now call Istanbul. And in fact, it was, coffee was so important that there was a law allowing a woman to divorce her husband if he neglected to provide her with enough coffee. (laughs) So yes, I am in favor and on board. Our guest is Kristen Morales, and she will be talking to us about supporting struggling math learners in an online environment. So, Kristen, tell us a bit about yourself, who you are, and what you do. Hey, thanks for having me on the show. My name is Kristen Morales. I'm a high school math teacher and tech coach for um, Chaparral High School in Temecula, California. I've been teaching um, high school math for... 25 years. That is excellent. We need more math teachers. Mm-hmm. So how do you define a struggling math learner? What, what makes somebody a struggling math student as opposed to somebody who just maybe is a little bit slower at catching on? Um, you know, I think a struggling math student um, has gaps or holes in their knowledge that have accumulated over the years. And Oftentimes in math, it's a building process. So if you are missing some of those, you know, building blocks along the way, then as you get to higher level math, you can't do some of the steps that are needed to solve bigger problems. And the missing stumbling blocks then creates a feeling of I'm not good at math. And then students, when they think they're not good at math, kind of shut down and and then the situation gets worse. (laughs) Right, that I'm not good at math kind of becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Yeah. What obstacles are in the way? You talked about missing uh, knowledge, knowledge gaps. How are you finding now that you're teaching online, how, is, how are those obstacles the same or different? What, how do the struggles change with an online education? You know, um, part of that that feeling like I'm not good at math kind of leads students into silence. Some of them, they just kind of shut down um, and they, they're afraid to make a mistake because they don't want to be, you know, seen as the kid who doesn't know stuff. So in class, whether I'm in person or online, I mean, you have to start by saying everyone's a math person. Mistakes are okay. Mistakes are how your brain grows. Look at any neuro, neuroscience, right? Mistakes are where more synapses are going on in your brain. So establishing that culture of everyone's a math person and mistakes are okay and we actually value them 
because more learning's going on, I think is critically important when you're face-to-face -face, and even more important when you're online because students have a sense that they can kind of hide, you know, in an online environment. Um, so in an online environment, you have to give opportunities for students to speak and, and show what they know. I do that in class um, all the time. It's required that students present their ideas to the class, whether that be going to the board, you know, raising their hand, discussing with a group. But in an online environment, you have to really switch it up and give multiple opportunities for them to have a voice. So some of the tools I use for that is um, Padlet, or you could use Jamboard, you could use Pear Deck, opportunities where students can post their work and other students can see it, and that's key. It needs to be not just me, the teacher. It needs to be, I'm gonna put myself out there, I'm gonna post this on a Padlet, I'm gonna post it on a Jamboard, I'm gonna say, say it in Pear Deck for my peers to see it. And then to get that constructive feedback so that constructing viable arguments and, crit and critiquing the reasoning of others, that's a math practice. You not need to find ways in an online environment that you can still do that math practice. And it becomes more creative on the teacher's end to make that happen. Yeah, and it, it can be really challenging if you don't, you need to establish that culture that you were talking about because I'm not gonna put myself out there if I don't feel like it's gonna be okay. I know that I've heard teachers say, well, give me an answer that you know is wrong. You know, so even little things like that can be, can be helpful, I think. Mm -hmm. So you, use, you talked about using Padlet, you talked about using Jamboard. What are some of the struggles that you're seeing? Is it really mostly based on knowledge gaps or is it, is it something else? Are they, are they just afraid to share or is? Well, you know, one of the things that is a big reason why some students end up, their grades end up going down is they just are not, turning in their work and submitting. Um, I see that all the time where a kid's like, I saw them do the work in class. And when it comes time to turn it in, they don't turn it in. And I said, say, well, where is it? They're like, oh, well, it's not quite done. I'm like, oh, well, give me what you got. You know, or they're like, oh, it's in my backpack. And in person, I'll say, open up your backpack, right? So what I've started doing online is when we're in our live synchronous, you know, Google Meet, um, I have every day I use a daily HyperDoc, right? So I have embedded links in the HyperDoc in a, a place within the HyperDoc for them to include a picture of their handwritten work, a place for them to, to type up a summary. And I do not let them off the video call until they turn it in. I use Canvas so I can see immediately when they submit a Google Doc. So that I can see that they submit their HyperDoc. So my new culture is you don't get to leave the video conference. The last five minutes of our video conference time is me one by one saying, okay, Lisa, yep, you turned it in, you can go. You know, Nancy, yep, I see you turned it in, you can go. So you gotta hold them accountable because in an online space, it's so easy to hide that kids that don't feel confident, they just hide. So that's one strategy I've been using is, um, last five minutes of class. And that's akin to what I do in face-to-face. -face. In face-to-face, -face, it's a stamp system. I walk up to every student every day and say, let me see your work. If you did it, you get your stamp, which is 10 points. The way I do that in a virtual world is I pull up my Canvas gradebook and I say, submit your document. 
submit your document and I go one by one. So you really need to have that one-on-one -on -one personalized attention for these kids. Um, I think another thing in an online environment is they need to know they can email me anytime they want and encourage them to do that, right? No, no matter how big or how small the question is. Um, granted, I get a lot of emails, but I'd rather get a lot of emails and help clarify for kids and root them on um, than have them just say, oh, it's too late. And you'll be surprised what a, a smile does. A, a smile works in person. An emoji with a smiley face emoji works wonders on an email with a kid. You know, we did an episode where we talked about using emojis and it's really true. It's part of making that connection, right? Mm -hmm. So kids know that you're there for them, that you care about them. And I think it's important too for people who are listening to know that if a kid emails you at 11 o'clock at night, which high school teachers know happens mm -hmm. all the time, mm -hmm. even if you're awake, even if you see it, you're not required to respond to them at 11 o'clock at night. As long as you respond to them and you set that expectation of how long they need to wait for your response, mm -hmm. right? If you tell them, if you email me, I'm gonna respond to you by lunch the next day or whatever your rule is, then they know that, right? And But it's making them feel like you are there for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then, too, I encourage, you know, um, it's been fortunate, like right now with summer school, because we have block classes, I have a little bit longer periods. But I encourage kids, stay on the video conference. You can, you can wait till everybody else has left and have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with me. I think in the online world, those opportunities for quote unquote office hours, you know, where a kid would normally come in at break or they'd come in at lunch and they'd have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with you. You have to provide time in your online schedule for one-on-one -on -one conversations because kids, a lot of them, they need that. They just want to talk about their situation with their teacher. So I finding that that's really helpful for struggling students as well. So do you find that that's better than to have the one-to-one -one rather than have office hours where somebody might pop in, see that somebody else is there and leave? Or how, how does that work? How do you set that up? Well, I tell kids when they email me, I say, hey, do you want to just stay on the line tomorrow and we can talk face-to-face? And then they kind of just hang on the line and just wait. And then when everybody else is gone, they talk to me. And I'll have sometimes two or three or four students and I know they've been waiting. I'm like, Hey, do you mind if I talk in front of, you know, these other students? And they're like, Oh, go ahead. You know, they don't mind. Yeah. So just ask them, but somehow, some way you got to provide that one-on-one, -on -one, whether it's after your synchronous um, teaching or in office hours so that students can have that same experience that they would have at school during break or during lunch or after school to talk one-on-one -on -one with their teacher. And that's so important replicating. A, we don't want to copy exactly what we would do mm -hmm. in a one to in a classroom environment, but there are so many things that we do in the classroom that we need to replicate like that connection that you were saying. And, you know, too, if kids are struggling Mm -hmm. Having them hear about somebody else's struggle can be reinforcing, I think, on a number of um, fronts because they can, A, understand that not they're not the only one mm -hmm. that's struggling. 
and they can hear somebody else's issue and that can be beneficial because they might learn something else or they might, you know, they might be able to think to themselves, oh, I actually can answer that question. I'm not as bad off as I thought I was. Mm -hmm. Right. And um, Lisa points out, we want to take what works in our classroom and bring it into the digital environment. Yeah. Yeah. You know, in a, in a regular classroom, a lot of times you can just look at a kid's face and you could know they're having a bad day. You just look at them. But since we're, we can't see, you know, with the, such a small screen online, what I started to do too is do um, weekly check-ins. Desmos has some great um, starter screens that you can build a Desmos activity. And it's just things like, how are you feeling today? On a scale from one to 10, how's your day? Is there anything you would like to ask me? Is there anything you'd like to tell me? And I've gotten so much great information. I've even had kids who weren't participating in the math participate in those check-ins. So Desmos starter screens activities have some really good pre-made ones that you could just use right away or add on to. Well, that's excellent. And I feel like that, you know, that's part of that socio-emotional, social-emotional learning, so that connection that we need to make with, with kids or they're not going to trust us. Mm -hmm. So, so what do the students have to say about some of these strategies and ideas? Have you felt like it's been valuable for them? Do you feel like they have a different experience in your class than maybe in other classes? You know, I, I think the thing that um, the current situation that we're in with a kids really needing to be online or, or do some online learning is they're finding that they need to be more independent. They need to, to speak up for themselves more than ever before. And I see that as a benefit because it's struggling students are the ones that uh, have not been independent in the past and it's really forcing them to communicate with the teacher um, take advantage of these opportunities when provided and um, we take more onus on their learning. Oh, that, that is a great point. And I think it's something that's a skill that really everybody needs to have. Kids need to learn to advocate for themselves because mommy and daddy, if they're there, they're not always gonna be there. That was our timer. So do you have any thoughts or things that you'd like to share? You know, um, just as a teacher, I'd say keep learning. You know, I'm an avid learner. Uh, in this new um, environment, I feel like there's a renaissance going on in education. Here's our chance to try something new, to tweak what we've done before and make it better than ever. Um, it's a challenging time for teachers, but I got a lot of teachers' friends, and I know that they are persevering. They're taking their summers off to learn and extend themselves. And I'm confident when we go back to school that parents can be rest assured that students are going to get the best education. They're probably even better than before because the teachers are taking the time to get themselves future ready to prepare um, students for this new environment. Yeah. Great final thoughts. Thank you so much for being on, for being our guest. We'll have um, links to some of the resources that Kristen mentioned in our show notes. We'd like to thank everybody who is listening. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a comment to let us know. Our comment question is, what are some of the strategies that you have used with struggling math students? 
please don't forget to subscribe to hear more about easy ways for you to innovate in your classroom. If you like the show, and of course you do, please help other people find us by rating and leaving a review wherever you're listening to this podcast. Thanks, and we'll see you next time.